Chapter Eight of He Fell in Love with His Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claudia Salto. He Fell in Love with His Wife by Edward P. Rowe. Holcroft's View of Matrimony. Holcroft was indeed very lonely as he drove through the bare March fields and leafless woods on his way to town. The sky had clouded again like his prospects, and he had the dreary sense of desolation which overwhelms a quiet domestic man who feels that his home and all to which he clings are slipping from him. His lot was hard enough at best, and he had a bitter sense of being imposed upon and wronged by Lemuel Weeks. It was now evident enough that the widow and her daughter had been an intolerable burden to his neighbor, who had taken advantage of his need and induced him to assume the burden through false representation. To a man of Holcroft's simple, straightforward nature, any face of trickery was intensely repugnant, and the fact that he had been overreached in a matter relating to his dearest hopes galled him to the quick. He possessed the strong common sense of his class. His wife had been like him in this respect, and her influence had intensified the trait queer people with abnormal manners excited his intense aversion the most charitable view that he could take of mrs mumpson was that her mind such as she had was unbalanced that it was an impossibility for her to see any subject or duty in a sensible light or its right proportions her cause so prejudicial to her own interests and her incessant and stilted talk were proof to his mind of a certain degree of insanity and he had heard that people in this condition often united to their unnatural ways a wonderful degree of cunning her child was almost as uncanny as herself and gave him a shivering sense of discomfort whenever he caught her small greenish eyes fixed upon him yet she'll be the only one who'll earn her salt i don't see how i'm going to stand em i don't indeed but suppose i'll have to for three months or else sell out and clear out by the time he reached town a cold rain had set in he went at once to the intelligence office but could obtain no girl for mrs mumpson to superintend nor any certain promise of one he did not much care for he felt that the new plan was not going to work having bartered all his eggs for groceries he sold the old stove and bought a new one then drew from the bank a little ready money since his butter was so inferior he took it to his friend tom watterly the keeper of the poorhouse prosperous tom slapped his old friend on the back and said you look awfully glum and chopfallen jim 
Come now, don't look at the world as if it was made of tar, pitch, and turpentine. I know your luck's been hard, but you make it a sight harder by being so set in all your ways. You think there's no place to live on God's earth but that old up-and-down-hill farm of yours that I wouldn't take as a gift. Why, man alive, there's a dozen things you can turn your hand to. But if you will stay there, do as other men do. Pick out a smart, handy woman that can make butter yola as gold, that'll bring gold, and not such limsy-slimsy, ghostly-looking stuff as you've brought me. Bein' it's you, I'll take it and give as much for it as I'd pay for better, but you can't run your old ranch in this fashion. I know it, Tom, replied Holcroft ruefully. I'm all at sea, but, as you say, I'm set in my ways, and I'd rather live on bread and milk and keep my farm than make money anywhere else. I guess I'll have to give it all up, though, and pull out, but it's like rooting up one of the old oaks in the meadow lot. The fact is, Tom, I've been fooled into one of the worst scrapes I've got into yet. I see how it is, said Tom heartily and complacently. You want a practical, foresighted man to talk straight at you for an hour or two and clear up the fog you're in. You study and brood over little things out there alone until they seem mountains which you can't get over nohow, when, if you'd take one good jump out, they'd be behind you. Now, you've got to stay and take a bite with me, and then we'll light our pipes and untangle the snarl. No backing out. I can do you more good than all the preaching you ever heard. Hey there, Bill, shouting to one of the paupers who was detailed for such work. Take this team to the barn and feed em. Come in, come in, old feller. You'll find that Tom Waterley, Alice, has a snack and a good word for an old crony. Holcroft was easily persuaded, for he felt the need of cheer, and he looked up to Tom as a very sagacious, practical man. So he said, Perhaps you can see farther into a millstone than I can, and if you can show me a way out of my difficulties, you'll be a friend sure enough. Why, of course I can. Your difficulties are all here and here, touching his bullet head and the region of his heart. There ain't no great difficulties, in fact, but after you've brooded out there a week or two alone, you think you're caught as fast as if you were in a bear trap. Here, Angie, addressing his wife, I've coaxed Holcroft to take supper with us. You can hurry it up a little, can't you? Mrs. Waterley gave their guest a cold, limp hand and a rather frigid welcome. But this did not disconcert him. It's only her way, he had always thought. She looks after her husband's interests as mine did for me, and she don't talk him to death. This thought, in the main, summed up Mrs. Waterley's best traits. She was a commonplace, narrow, selfish woman whose character is not worth sketching. Tom stood a little in fear of her, 
and was usually careful not to impose extra tasks, but since she helped him to save and get ahead, he regarded her as a model wife. Holcroft shared in his opinion and sighed deeply as he sat down to supper. "'Ah, Tom,' he said, "'you're a lucky man. You've got a wife that keeps everything indoors up to the mark and gives you a chance to attend to your own proper business. That's the way it was with mine. I never knew what a lopsided, helpless creature a man was until I was left alone. You and I were lucky in getting the women we did, but when my partner left me she took all the luck with her. That ain't the worst. She took what's more than luck and money and everything. I seemed to lose with her my grit and interest in most things. It'll seem foolishness to you, but I can't take comfort in anything much except working that old farm that I've worked and played on ever since I can remember anything. You're not one of those fools, Tom, that have to learn from their own experience. Take a bit from mine and be good to your wife while you can. I'd give all I'm worth. I know that ain't much. If I could say some things to my wife and do some things for her that I didn't do. Holcroft spoke in the simplicity of a full and remorseful heart, but he unconsciously propitiated Mrs. Watterly in no small degree. Indeed, she felt that he had quite repaid her for his entertainment, and the usually taciturn woman seconded his remarks with much emphasis. "'Well, now, Angie,' said Tom, "'if you averaged up husbands in these parts, I guess you'd find you were faring rather better than most women folks. I let you take the bit in your teeth and go your own jog mostly.' now own up don't i that wasn't my meaning exactly tom resumed holcroft you and i could well afford to let our wives take their own jog for they always jogged steady and faithful and didn't need any urging and guiding but even a dumb critter likes a good word now and then and a little patting on the back it doesn't cost us anything, and does them a sight of good. But we kind of let the chances slip by and forget about it until like enough it's too late. Well, replied Tom, with a deprecatory look at his wife, Angie don't take to pet him very much. She thinks it's a kind of foolishness for such middle-aged people as we're getting to be. A husband can show his consideration without blarneying, remarked Mrs. Watterly coldly. When a man takes on in that way, you may be sure he wants something extra to pay for it. After a little thought, Holcroft said, I guess it's a good way to pay for it between husband and wife. Look here, Jim, since you're so well up on the matrimonial question, why in thunder don't you marry again? That would settle all your difficulties, and 
Tom looked at his friend with a sort of wonder that he should hesitate to take this practical, sensible course. "'It's very easy for you to say, why don't you marry again? If you were in my place, you'd see that there are things in the way of marrying for the sake of having a good butter-maker and all that kind of thing.' "'Mr. Waterley wouldn't be long in comforting himself.' remarked his wife his advice to you makes the course he'd take mighty clear now angie said tom reproachfully well he added with a grin you're forewarned so you've only to take care of yourself and not give me a chance the trouble is holcroft resumed i don't see how an honest man is going to comfort himself unless it all comes about in some natural sort of way i suppose there are people who can marry over and over again just as easy as they'd roll off a log it ain't for me to judge em and i don't understand how they do it you are a very practical man tom but just you put yourself in my shoes and see what you do. In the first place, I don't know of a woman in the world that I'd think of marrying. That's saying nothing against the women. There's lots too good for me. But I don't know him, and I can't go around and hunt him up. Even if I could, with my shy, awkward ways, I wouldn't feel half so nervous starting out on a bear hunt. Here's difficulty right at the beginning. Supposing I found a nice, sensible woman such as I'd be willing to marry, there isn't one chance in a hundred she'd look at an old fellow like me. Another difficulty, supposing she would, suppose she looked me square in the eyes and said so you truly want a wife what in thunder would i say then i don't want a wife i want a housekeeper a butter-maker one that would look after my interests if if they were her own and if i could hire a woman that would do what i wish i'd never think of marrying I can't tell a woman that I love her when I don't. If I went to a minister with a woman, I'd be deceiving him and deceiving her and perjuring myself promiscuously. I married once according to law and gospel, and I was married through and through, and I can't do the thing over again in any way that would seem to me like marrying at all. The idea of me sitting by the fire and wishing that the woman who sat on t'other side of the stove was my first wife, yet I couldn't help doing this any more than breathing. Even if there was any chance of my succeeding, I can't see anything square or honest in my going out and hunting up a wife as a mere matter of business. I know other people do it, and I've thought a good deal about it myself, but when it comes to the point of acting, I find I can't do it. The two men now withdrew from the table to the fireside and lighted their pipes. 
Mrs. Watterly stepped out for a moment, and Tom, looking over his shoulder to make sure she was out of earshot, said under his breath, But suppose you found a woman that you could love and obey and all that? Oh, of course, that would make everything different. I wouldn't begin with a lie then, and I knew enough of my wife to feel sure that she wouldn't be a sort of dog in the manger after she was dead she was one of those good souls that if she could speak her mind this minute she would say james what's best and right for you is best and right but it's just because she was such a good wife that i know there's no use of trying to put anyone in her place where on earth could i find anybody and how could we get acquainted so that we'd know anything about each other no i must just scratch along for a short time as things are and be on the lookout to sell or rent tom smoked meditatively for a few moments and then remarked i guess that's your best way out it ain't an easy way either said holcroft finding a purchaser or tenant for a farm like mine is almost as hard as finding a wife then as i feel leaving my place is next to leaving the world tom shook his head ruefully and admitted i declare jim when a feller comes to think it all over you are in a bad fix especially as you feel i thought i could talk you over into practical common sense in no time it's easy enough when one don't know all the bearings of a case to think carelessly oh he ain't as bad off as he thinks he is he can do this and that and the t'other thing but when you come to look it all over you find he can't except at a big loss of course you can give away your farm on which you were doing well and getting ahead though how you did it i can't see you'd have to about give it away if you forced a sale and where on earth you'll find a tenant who'll pay anything worth considering but there's no use of croaking i wish i could help you old feller by jocks i believe i can there's an old woman here who's right smart and handy when she can't get her bottle filled i believe she'd be glad to go with you for she don't like our board and lodging over much do you think she'd go to-night oh yes guess so a little cold water'll be a good change for her mrs wiggins was seen and feeling that any change would be for the better readily agreed to go for very moderate wages holcroft looked dubiously at the woman's heavy form and heavier face but felt that it was the best he could do squeezing mrs watterly's cold limp hand in a way that would have thawed a lump of ice he said good-bye and then declaring that he would rather do his own harnessing for a night ride he went out into the storm tom put on his rubber coat and went to the barn with his friend toward whom he cherished honest good will 
by jocks he ejaculated sympathetically but you have hard lines jim what in thunder would i do with two such witty women to look after my house End of chapter eight